0: a ratchet book club where we read hood classics and good classics i'm derek 916-633-1537 wretched and ratchet gmail.com ratchet book club on twitter ratchet book club on facebook wednesday sabrina barely slept she dozed off shortly in the small hours only to snap awake again once the earliest rays of dawn filtered through the blinds hal still snored next to her turned away on top of the sheet she turned off the alarm on her phone before it rang and went downstairs at the landing sweat broke out on her brow she crept through the lower level of her own house peeking around corners fearful something might pop out to consume her like the sandwich she intended to brew coffee the first step in the complex morning ritual required to keep the Haskins family operational but when she stepped into the kitchen she froze the coffee pot was full Fresh, too, the air thick with the scent of warm java. She looked over her shoulder, then advanced into the kitchen, step by excruciating step, focused on the wooden knife block on the counter. Maybe she couldn't cut a ghost, but she'd surely try if the opportunity presented itself. She reached the counter, pulled a knife from the block, realized she had grabbed a bread knife, unlikely to intimidate anyone, corporal or ethereal pulled another, a nasty-looking butcher knife. Back to the counter, Sabrina raised the knife from what she hoped was a menacing manner and hissed, Where are you? Nothing. No specters emerged a challenger. No ghosts nor goblins poked their heads out of the cracks and crevices in the wall. Just a woman, bangs plastered to her forehead, threatening the air with a knife over a fresh pot of coffee. Absurd. Laughter bubbled up from her guts. Bubble guts. Tears poured from her eyes. She doubled over, dropping the knife, the clatter resounding off the walls. Hun? Hal stood in the doorway. Bathrobe. Hair must. A handful of strands sticking up in a cowlick. Sabrina stopped laughing. Wiped tears from her eyes. Tried to compose her features into something resembling a serious expression. I... I dropped the knife, she said lamely, pointing at the butcher knife on the tile. You dropped the knife. Sabrina nodded quickly. Silly, it it just slipped out of my hand, almost took a toe off. She lifted her foot, wiggled her toes. Hal made a point of looking at his watch. The doctor should be open soon. He frowned and walked away, mumbling to himself. Great. Great. Not for the first time, Sabrina asked herself if she was going insane. A pointless question, because how would one know? If you had the good sense to ask if you were going crazy, you couldn't be. Right? She stopped, knees groaning, picked up the knife, slid it back into its home. It had already done enough damage. You, you ain't going to wash it, though? The knife was on the ground. You, you ain't going to wash it? See, this that type of shit that leads to y'all letting dogs kiss you in the mouth. With your mouth open. I see y'all motherfuckers. Y'all motherfuckers is nasty. I'm not going to judge all y'all, but some of y'all, most of y'all. Look, just letting dogs. You watch dogs lick their assholes. And you're like, that's what I want in my mouth. Of course, on the other hand, if you lick your wife's asshole, then you're just a trooper. The rest of the morning passed agonizingly slowly. Sabrina thought she'd be glad to have Hal home, but that wasn't the case. He took over the dining room, turning it into a makeshift office, and while she didn't begrudge him the space, no matter where she went, she could feel him down there. Nominally working. Mostly judging. It was weird. They rarely quarreled because there was so little to quarrel about. Hal picked up after himself mostly, brought home a decent paycheck, bought her flowers. They still had sex, just the other night even. Now Sabrina couldn't imagine touching him. She kept thinking about that moment in the kitchen, the sandwich disappearing out of her strange little son's hand. Where could it have gone? And why was Hal fixated on her reaction instead of the impossibility he witnessed? Sabrina grabbed a basket of laundry and headed down to the basement, hoping the large man would make an appearance again, and she'd scream, and Hal would come running, and he'd see. He'd see, and then she wouldn't be so alone. Other than a brief moment when she thought they were out of detergent, just enough for a single load, nothing remotely frightening happened in the basement. After she puttered around the house, avoiding the dining room. Hal called her in once, telling her he'd scheduled an appointment with a doctor Sanderson for three weeks hence. He said that last part with an uncommon bitterness, and went back to his work. I mean, you gotta you gotta understand here, Sabrina, you dear you're a inanimate object in a book but still if you're an adult and you've been fucking with one of your kids for like their whole life like just been evil to this one child for no reason for their whole life and he's noticed and he hasn't said anything first of all he's a coward for not saying anything and confronting you at the jump you have to stand up for your kids but secondly once he opens that tap all those years of frustration and bitterness and anger are just going to be at the front of that tap. You know what I'm saying? It's how when you turn on a water hose outside, I don't know about you white people, but back in the day, my grandmother would kick us the fuck out the house and would will be like, don't come back in. If you come back in, you got to go to bed. Nowadays, I'd be like, thank you, and i go to bed. But back then, we'd be like, okay, so we'd be outside playing, and it would be like 94 degrees outside. And the only water you could drink because the water was inside the house and you weren't allowed to get to the water was the water hose outside. And although there's cold water coming out the water hose, eventually at the front of that water was the, at the front of the the water that came out the spigot was hot water. Because it had been sitting there just building up. And the weather outside, the temperature outside, it changed that water to being hot. Once that got out, then the cold water came out you can enjoy Once he gets this out, I'm sure he'll go back to being the same old how that you've always liked, which I can't fucking stand, but you know, do you, boo. But right now, he's seeing you treat your son like shit. You literally named the nigga Damien because he absorbed his twin in the womb. And you think he's a demon child. And you treat him as such. Why the fuck wouldn't he be disappointed in you? Where doesn't that make sense? And you being defensive about the whole thing really pisses me off. By lunchtime, Sabrina had had her fill. She had to go somewhere, get away from the house, the husband, all of it. But her car still hadn't arrived and she wasn't about to ask how to borrow the Camry. He probably thinks she'd drive it off a cliff in her current state. That's when she remembered the plate. The neighbor's plate, which needed returning. A minor errand to be sure, but it would get her out the house at least. Sabrina went to the sink. The plate gleamed in the dish rack. The spooks hadn't only made coffee, apparently. She wasn't sure whether to be grateful or afraid or angry. A strange admixture of all three boiled in her veins. Maybe that was the worst of all. She never quite knew how to feel. Sabrina picked up the dish, about to stick her head into the dining room to tell how she was leaving, but stopped. Why should she check in with him? Sabrina left, shutting the door quietly, and headed across the street to Zephyrs. The front door opened the minute she stepped foot on the sidewalk, the older lady coming out onto the porch wrapped in a ratty yet inviting cardigan. The same yellow hue as her house predominated. A mug in one hand, a bemused expression on her face. I was wondering where my favorite plate was. Sorry, we just finished the sandwiches. Sabrina stopped short of the porch. This is your favorite plate? Zephyr took the plate from her. I tell that to all my dinnerware. Shh. Oh. Sabrina stood there awkwardly. The sandwiches were delicious, by the way. Very kind of you. Just being neighborly. Would you like to come in for a chugachino? She had with the mug. Sabrina had no idea what that was, but relished the thought of being inside someone else's presumably non-haunted house. Sure. Well, come on then, Zephyr turned, disappearing into the house. Sabrina mounted the steps, let herself in the front door. The heavy scent of incense nearly bowled her over. Zephyr's living room matched her personality. Bohemian would easily cover it tapestries on the wall, tribal-looking masks and knick-knacks, decorations woven out of rope. A spinning wheel occupied one corner, reminding her of Rumpelstiltskin, while an upright piano sat beneath a colorful mural of trumpet-blowing jazz musicians. Make yourself at home, Zephyr called from the kitchen. Sabrina moved some throw pillows out of the way and settled onto the big, overstuffed couch. She shifted around, trying to get comfortable. Less out of actual discomfort than because she didn't have a phone to occupy her. Zephyr came out of the kitchen carrying two mugs. She handed one to Sabrina. Ever have a chugachino?" Sabrina peered into the mug. It looked like coffee, which made her heart beat a little faster. What is it? Mushroom coffee. Zephyr plopped down next to Sabrina. Not the fun kind, I'm afraid. Oh. Sabrina blew on her drink until the steam dissipated, took a sip. A little earthy, but in the same zip code as actual Java. It's good. And good for you. You know what goes really well with it? No. Zephyr opened a small wooden box on the coffee table, revealing a stash of hand-rolled joints. She took one from the box and stuck it between her lips. Want them? Sabrina hadn't touched weed since college and only in a handful of times. It, it either didn't work for her or left her incapacitated, burrowing into the closest couch she could find. Still, it had been that kind of week. Sure. a girl, Zephyr said, lighting the joint. Weed smoke mingled with the incense hanging in the air. An improvement, in Sabrina's opinion. Zephyr puffed on the joint, then passed it to Sabrina. The harsh smoke made her cough. She had a brief flashback to the one time she had smoked with Hal, who just said, Coughing makes you higher over and over again, laughing to himself about something that wasn't even a joke. But it was good. She felt lighter, more relaxed. Maybe it was the drugs, maybe being out of the house, or just talking to another adult who wasn't her husband and didn't think she was crazy. Either way. May I? Zephyr said, motioning for the joint. Sabrina blushed, sorry. You don't do this often, do you? How'd you know? Zephyr waved dismissively. How are you settling in? The question was enough of a blank envelope. The urge to confide in her new neighbor struck Sabrina to let out all the aggravations and uncertainties of the last few days out. But she didn't. Fine, Sabrina said. It's a beautiful house. Mm. Why didn't you want to come in the other day? The question fell out of Sabrina's mouth before she even realized she had said it. Bold for her. Zephyr took another long puff on the joint. Exhaled, staring off into the distance. Sabrina searched for something else to say. The last thing she wanted was to alienate the only non-Haskins she knew in the entire greater Jackson Hill area. Sorry, she mumbled, moving to stand. Zephyr put a hand on her thigh. Sit. Sabrina sat. Do you believe in the supernatural? Zephyr asked. Dead before, Sabrina would have scoffed. She believed in God, vaguely, but that didn't count. Ghosts, witches, demons, other than her kid? Pish posh. Now? Yes, Sabrina said quietly. You've seen something, haven't you? Sabrina nodded. I thought so. Zephyr stubbed out the joint in an ashtray. When I came over the other day, I, I didn't expect it, if that makes sense. Didn't expect anything. But when I crossed the threshold, well, I'm very sensitive. Ever had the shower turn cold on you? Yes. That's what it's like. You're warm, hardly even thinking about how warm you are. And then, it's more than a chill. It's something else, but a shock, all right. right, that, That's what I felt. I should have been honest with you, but it surprised me, so I, I, I retreated. I ran off like a scared little dog. You felt this before? Things like, like my house? Oh, yes. Like I said, I'm very sensitive. Ever since I was a little girl, I, I saw things and heard things that other people couldn't. The world isn't what they tell you it is, I'm afraid. Zephyr smiled tightly, then looked away. Most of the I'll-just-say-things, words like ghosts are too loaded, full of false connotations. They're harmless. They don't even know you're there, but... She lowered her voice as if she feared someone else might be listening. Other things? They see us. And your house made me feel... seen. I'm, I'm not proud of leaving you in the lurch, but there's something in your house, Sabrina, and I think you know this. Yes. Zephyr drew a leg up underneath her. Tell me everything. Sabrina did, every last detail, and many extraneous ones thanks to the weed. Zephyr listened patiently, nodding, sometimes asking a clarifying question. When Sabrina finished, she realized she had been gripping her coffee cup so hard the handle left an imprint in her palm. Incredible, Zephyr said. I've never heard of such sustained activity. You've lived here a long time, haven't you? Since nineteen eighty three. So what happened? Was somebody Sabrina hated to say it murdered in my house? Heavens no. And in the neighborhood. It wasn't built on a cemetery. This whole world's a cemetery, Zephyr said. That's true. White people, you've killed people from coast to coast. And then got the nerve to get mad at niggas for being gangbangers. Like y'all literally killed an entire nation of people. And the ones that were left, you are like, you live here now. Stay here. Stay. Or we'll shoot you too. And then made them out to be the villains. God. Wow. You're the fucking worst. Also donate. Thanks. But no, nothing like that. It's a painfully ordinary neighborhood. At some point, I'm going to get a review from a white person saying, he says too many mean things about white people. Fucking nigger. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, most of y'all white people are good folks. But some of y'all are literally like, it's right underneath the surface. Y'all motherfuckers are on that. In racism now. In racism now. In racism. Out of my way, nigga. In racism now. That's like right underneath the surface. And you gotta know that a lot of y'all motherfuckers got what you got because the people who came before you that had your last name owned my folks. But you don't want to admit it. You just want to keep gallivanting through life like that shit didn't happen. Like y'all's folks didn't either A, own black people, B, murder an entire nation of indigenous Americans, or C, put a whole bunch of Japanese people into internment camps. But you know, the fuck do I know? But no, nothing like that. It's a painfully ordinary neighborhood, mostly bank owned. Been years since anyone lived in your place. The man, I, I forget his name, was quite loud and messy, hardly kept the place up at all. But nothing violent ever happened there. Oh. They finished their coffee, Zephyr chattering away about nothing at all the town, her favorite restaurants, a yoga class Sabrina simply had to take. Eventually, Zephyr checked her watch and stood. Sorry, but I've got more chores I simply must get to. Come by again soon? I will. Sabrina held up her coffee mug. You want me to just leave it on the table, will you? Sabrina headed for the door. Just as she opened it, Zephyr said, wait. Sabrina turned, one hand on the knob. Something struck me about your story. The things you've seen. A strange man carried a box down the basement steps. A A bath appeared out of nowhere. Morning coffee. Yes. None of it is malevolent. Quite the opposite, actually. Have you ever thought that maybe you're just... Lucky? That's one way to think about it, Sabrina said slowly. Thanks again. She left, trudging back to her own house, the one haunting her or helping her. Thinking if this was luck, it was surely a strange sort. Class was painful. Even more so than usual. Mr. Tuthill continued their unit on Zack Snyder's 300 and moved on to recounting what Damien suspected was the plot of Gladiator, one of Hal's favorites, in embarrassingly animated fashion. Damien strongly believed pantomime had no place in the classroom, even if it was employed to enact a sword fight that didn't occur 2,000 years before his birth. The entire performance was insufferable, and he stared at the clock counting the seconds and hoping for a good old-fashioned school shooting until the bell finally mercifully rang Now to work His trip to Forever 31 complete Damien had one more pressing piece of business to accomplish Blood was an intrinsic part of his plan but the fake stuff wouldn't cut it Versimilitude was the watchword and one sniff of the Carol syrup stuffed plastic pellets on the racks at the Halloween store told him they'd never do He needed real blood needed that iron tang to stoke Sabrina's altavistic impulses Cinder spiraling headlong into a world of madness and terror. Thankfully, you can find anything on the internet. Damien skipped the school bus and boarded the city bus instead with a pocket full of cash divested from his sister's piggy bank. After all, she owed him for bailing on the plan. He leaned back in his seat, watching the city slide by. His phone buzzed, more mystery messages he could safely ignore, but then he noticed his data connection was far better than anywhere near the house on James Circle, and logged in a fortnight to pwn some noobs until the bus reached his destination. Michaela watched her brother pass his bus, head down, never making eye contact with the driver. She was secreted in some bushes in front of the elementary school, leaning on her bike. Luckily, getting out of class was easy. She faked a stomachache, and her medium-handsome teacher, Mr. Delano, asked if she had lady problems, and of course she swallowed her mortification and said yes, given that she was assuredly a lady with some very real problems, like finding out what her little brother was up to. She would long been a willing participant in Damien's schemes, although of late she found herself less a partner and more a fall guy. The infamous Columbus County Fair incident just won amongst several where she had been caught holding her brother's bag. Suddenly, stricken of TV and video games and, God, Mom, TikTok privileges, Damien's antics didn't seem so funny anymore. Definitely not now, with her mother seemingly teetering between sanity and its opposite. A block away, Damien loitered around the city bus stop. She ducked into another stand of bushes to watch. Her brother was maddeningly observant, but he seemed wrapped up in whatever he was doing. A bus arrived. Damien got on. Michaela was faced with a difficult decision. Board the bus and blow her cover or lose him to the city. Neither option seemed acceptable. Through the bus window, she could see Damien bent down, focused on his phone. Probably Fortnite. She pushed her bike out of the bushes and hopped on. The bus pulled away from the curb, Michaela pedaling furiously to keep up. A passing mom in an SUV gave her a weird look. Kids her age didn't ride their bikes around Jackson Hill solving mysteries, apparently like every other Netflix show, but Michaela ignored her, pedaling furiously after the bus. Luckily, the bus got caught at the next light. She caught up, careful to keep away from Damien's side, and leaned on her handlebars, panting heavily. It went like that for the next two miles, the bus pulling away over some distant hill, only to get snarled in traffic again. Once she feared she lost it altogether, came through an intersection thick with strip mall clusters, only to see it stopped a few dozen feet away. Damien got off the bus, still engrossing his phone. Seemingly without looking, he walked into the parking lot of a strip club called House of Jugs. Gross! She coasted down the sidewalk, veered behind a Cadillac, set her bike down on the asphalt and poked her head around the taillights, trying to see what her brother was up to. Damien was on his phone, talking animatedly. After a moment, a large man in overalls and a trucker hat came out of the strip club, swung from side to side. He belched so loudly she could hear and almost smell him all the way across the parking lot. Her brother handed the man a fistful of cash, who counted it twice, nodding to himself, then ambled over to a rusty pickup with truck nuts hanging off the license plate. Two objects, canisters, vats, something, sat in the back. Michaela inched around the Cadillac, slipped under an SUV. Commando crawled closer to see what was going on. But the best, the man was saying, drain them myself. Do I need to worry about diseases? Parasites? Depends on what you're planning on doing. Damien giggled. <laughs> it's for a school project. Yeah, okay. The man lowered the gate. Damien climbed up into the truck and popped the lid off one of the canisters. He recoiled, nearly fell out of the tailgate. Michaela clamped a hand over her mouth to keep from yelling, Be careful! Damien steadied himself, then paused. His nose twitched, his gaze fanned the parking lot. Michaela shrunk up under the SUV, pressing herself against the tire, hoping he wouldn't see her, although she wasn't really sure why. If he knew she followed him, maybe he'd just abandon his idiotic plan. As if. The man said something unintelligible to Damien. He scanned the parking lot once more, then jumped down out of the truck bed. Looks good. You can deliver? The man held out his hand. Damien grumbled, then peeled off a few more bills. Highway robbery. My cousin Terry works for the U-Haul. Guarantee my delivery fees less than what he'd charge to pretend like he saw a driver's license, plus the booster seat rental. Very funny. Jokes are free. Delivery ain't. We good? Michaela was still focused on the canisters in the back of the truck. What in the world was Damien up to, and where did he get all that money? Damien tapped the side of the truck, slid a pair of child-sized Ray-Bans over his eyes. Pleasure doing business with you. After coming back from Zephyrs, Sabrina drew a bath, on her own this time, and sank into the deliciously warm water. Fearless, with Hal home, she only worried about being judged. The water relaxed her, and the time alone, free from the state of hypervigilance she had to in for days, helped her get a little perspective. She kept thinking about Zephyr's words. Nothing malevolent has happened. Had it? Sabrina replayed every moment in the house from the day they had arrived. Several disconcerting experiences, yes, but if she suppressed her fear of the unknown, looked at everything objectively, the actions of the house, and she felt a little crazy thinking that, as if Hal could peer into her mind and use it as ammunition later, when the men in white coats finally came to drag her out to a 58 Cadillac Sentinel. The actions of the house, like Zephyr said, were hardly hostile. The ghosts, again, crazy, silly, had done what exactly? Made coffee? Drawn baths? Carried heavy boxes full of half remembered belongings down to the basement? And then eating their neighbors' disgusting sandwiches as a reward? They hadn't threatened her outwardly. Any threat was all in her head. Except the dream she had had, maybe. The man from the basement barging into her bedroom. But wasn't that in her head, too? Hal saw nothing, heard nothing, except Sabrina freaking out. Maybe her mind is stitching her memories of the experience together with her latent anxieties. Whatever fears and trepidations were ping-ponging around her subconscious. What would Freud say? She had taken Psych 110 before dropping out, so she should know this stuff. Although it always seemed a little snake oily to her. Those psychiatrists or psychologists, she could never remember who did what. They were all quacks anyway, weren't they? And in three weeks, Hal wanted her to go see one. The house didn't. The house, when she really thought about it, didn't want anything from her. Not like her daughter, rides, money, a minimum 10 foot distance at the mall. Or her husband, dinners, lunches, and worst of all, impeccable mothering. And her son, what he actually wanted, she couldn't articulate. Something bad. Her soul? But the house, what did it want? Nothing seemingly. The house gave. Maybe, she thought, dipping below the waterline, wetting her hair, even though she didn't feel like shampooing it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Down there, below the bubbles, there seemed to be an awful lot of maybes. Far more than she had ever had in the last 15 years with Hal. Not since she was in college, and her life was one big maybe. Huh. When she finally got out of the tub, there was a fluffy, clean towel folded up on the toilet seat. Just waiting for her. Damien didn't wake up, because he never really slept. He stayed up late, and once the Haskins house was asleep, silently let himself out of his room. Finding the farmer had been a stroke of genius, albeit a very smelly one. The man approved indispensable, providing Damien with everything he needed. The delivery was scheduled for 1 a.m. Damien padded down the hall in his socks, not making a sound. He paused at Michaela's door. No light came from under the crack, and an ear to the wood yielded nothing but the familiar, rhythmic wheezing of sister's sleep. Good. Certain no one would interfere, Damien crept downstairs. He looked out the window. A dented truck idled in front of the empty house next door, lights off. Damien listened once more for noises from upstairs, blessed silence, and reached for the doorknob. Dzz, his phone... Damien cursed silently to himself, pulling the infernal device from his pocket. He expected a simple text from the farmer. I'm here, dude, or some such banality, but no. The message was from that infuriating unknown number who had bedeviled him ever since his arrival in Jackson Hill. Don't. Damien frowned. Who was this mystery texter? Why were they so concerned with his business, and most importantly, why were they watching him? Damien looked around as if some hitherto unmet neighbor might be hiding in the shadows of the foyer. But no, he was alone. So who could... Michaela. The answer was obvious. She would spooked the fake number in order to... To what exactly? Unsettle and harass him? Derail his plans? Damien smiled through his annoyance. He had taught her well. He powered off his phone, extended a middle finger at the ceiling, and then slipped outside to meet the farmer. Amazingly, the man was as good as his word. Damien fretted all through dinner the farmer might simply run away with his money. But no, his country-fried honor bound him to the handshake deal he had made with a ten-year-old. They unloaded the canisters of pig's blood and secreted them in the shed. The farmer, surprisingly discreet, moving silently and keeping his redneck voice down. Passing Michaela's door, he stopped again to listen for Signs of Life, but heard nothing. In his room, he changed back into a SpongeBob and slipped under the cover. His phone chirped. Damien startled. It was off. He knew it was off. Still, he reached for it. Yet another message waited for him. You shouldn't do this. It's not nice. Damien stifled the urge to toss the phone across the room. Instead, he banged out a quick message. Meddle not in the affair of Damien's, for you are stupid and your butt smells. Taps in and leaned back into his pillows. Satisfied, he would totally owned her. Bzz, I'm serious. No, Michaela, I'm serious. Don't stick your nose where it doesn't belong. That seemed to shut her up. He turned the phone off again just in case and was about to fall asleep when it buzzed again. I'm not Michaela. And wasn't that exactly what Michaela would say? He shut the phone off properly this time, he hoped, and shoved it in his closet hamper. The issue resolved, he tried to go to sleep, but couldn't. Michaela Haskins slept soundly and sent not a single text from her own phone or any other. So I don't know if y'all heard when I read The Princess Bride, and if you should, if you if you haven't, you really should check it out. But um, The Princess Bride had really long chapters at some points that I just cut in the quarters, uh, and it worked out. So we're gonna do that here as well because this next chapter is like two hours and fifty nine minutes long. So we're gonna go from there. Thursday, Sabrina woke fifteen minutes before the alarm, refreshed. She stifled a yawn, looked over at Hal, blissfully asleep beside her, his hand tucked between cheek and pillow, and thought, Wouldn't it be nice if Hal's lunch just made itself? Wrapping her bathrobe around her, it smelled like detergent, even though she hadn't washed it since the move, she padded downstairs. The kids' backpacks, overstuffed, waited next to the front door. Fresh coffee and a brown bag sat on the counter. That lunch she ordered. She opened the cabinet, checked the trash, Empty. A brand new liner in the can. A girl could get used to this. What little else to do? Sabrina poured coffee and settled on the couch. Flipped on the TV. Thinking she'd kill time with Good Morning America. Nothing but static. Sabrina groaned. Turned the TV off. Where was the cable guy anyway? It had been days. Wait. Sabrina squeezed her eyes shut. Thought about watching TV. Picture Robin Roberts. George Stephanopoulos. Michael Strahan, all of them laughing and bantering their way through breaking news and pet tricks and interviews with Tom Hanks. Pictured herself smiling along with her best friends. Sad. That was sad, wasn't it? No matter. She imagined an insta-fitness guru she liked. This woman who wasn't annoyingly perfect, didn't airbrush her stretch marks at least. The guru was demonstrating a basu ball routine, saying something about hip flexors. Michael Strahan said he wished he could be that flexible. Everybody laughed. Sabrina turned on the TV. Good morning, America, George Stephanopoulos said, flashing the camera a smile. Great to see you this morning, Robin Roberts added, giving Sabrina a thumbs up. Sabrina returned it. We got a very special guest today, George continued. All the way from Jackson Hill, Michael Strahan popped up from behind the counter, grinning his gap two smile. That's my favorite town. Robin patted him on the head. Okay, Michael. Here she is, our very special guest, Sabrina Haskins. Sabrina gasped. A woman walked out on stage, long silky hair shielding her face, wearing yoga pants and a navy tank top. She waited the audience, studio or otherwise, and plopped down on the couch next to the anchors, flipping back her hair. It was her. Or a better version. This Sabrina didn't have chunky thighs or a pooch or premature wrinkles, the subtle streaks of gray Hal insisted he couldn't see. She looked poised, confident, and she had Michelle Obama arms. So, Sabrina, George asked, and now he looks an awful lot like Hal, actually. We're delighted you could take some time out of your busy schedule to hang with us. So delighted, Robin squealed. You're really setting the world on fire, Strahan said, popping out from behind the desk again. With your, uh... He squinted at an off offstage teleprompter. New blog? Was that it? Should she start a blog? Oh, it's more than just a blog, Michael, screamed Sabrina said with a practice studio chuckle. It's a virtual lifestyle destination. A comprehensive solution to help you, she pointed her finger directly at the camera, become the best you you can be. After all, I did. George nodded. If any was an expert, it's you. Tell me, Robin said, how do I get Michelle Obama arms? Or maybe we should be calling them Sabrina Haskins arms, right? Sabrina winked. That's why I'm here. Now, this might seem a little feng shui. She wrapped scare quotes around her words. But the first thing you got to do is find a space that's conducive to self-actualization. Learn to trust it. Let it become a part of you. A good house anticipates your needs, after all. Knows you better than you know yourself. Sabrina, the real Sabrina, nodded along. The conversation was at once very hard to follow and made perfect sense. She learned so much from Good Morning America over the years. She should really keep listening now that she was on the show, no? Sabrina made a mistake. A big mistake. Even when footsteps padded across the ceiling indicated the others were up, she couldn't pry herself away from the TV. If anyone else came downstairs, what would they see? Her. agog at an empty screen, probably. GMA disappeared the second Hal poked his head into the living room and said, Hun, have you seen my khakis? Sabrina dropped the remote. The screen was predictably filled with snow. Static blared through the speakers. She had to show up quite loud, apparently. Sabrina grabbed the remote again, shut the screen off. What are you doing, Hal said. Oh, she flew for an answer until the box of movies by the TV saved her. I was going to watch a movie? I just, I I don't suppose you have time to hook up the DVD before you go. Can't you? I mean, it's like two chords, he caught himself. Yeah, okay. Hal got on his hands and knees and started hooking up wires, grumbling. Thanks, hun, Sabrina said. I'll get your lunch and coffee. In no way did Sabrina believe her deception had been remotely successful. And when he finally left, he muttered something about trying to move her psychiatrist appointment up. But Alicia was alone. Alone in the house. Odd how things changed so quickly. With nothing to do but wait for the delivery of the car, Sabrina went back into the living room, thinking she actually would watch a movie. Why not? She sat a box of DVDs on the couch, flipped through the Haskins family film collection, bizarrely eclectic. Sabrina preferred romantic comedies, 27 Dresses, What Happens in Vegas, whereas Hal liked fart jokes and explosions. Michaela favored foreign films, although Sabrina suspected that was just her grasping at adulthood. Family movie nights usually turned into debates about what sort of movies were appropriate for a 12-year-old. For his part, Hal didn't so much take a side as unsettling suggest they watch a Sandler flick instead. Then there was Damien. After the three more vocal members finally settled on a mission impossible, since the series was frequently set in Europe and equally frequently blew up its setting, they microwaved popcorn and settled onto the couch. But Damien would sit cross-legged, facing his family, watching their reactions instead of the film. Sabrina found it profoundly unsettling. Sabrina tossed a few of her favorite choices onto the couch. How to lose a guy in 10 days seemed appealing, but when she went to open the case, something stopped her. She glanced at the TV, back at the movie, back at the TV. GMA was probably wrapping up, but maybe the house would keep making the TV work for her. Nobody would be home for hours anyway. Sabrina raised the remote. The screen flickered to life immediately a commercial for cleaning supplies. Several bestial children covered in filth with long ratty hair hanging in their faces were in the process of destroying a kitchen that looked identical to her own. The children smashed glasses, smeared bloody fingerprints all over the cabinets. One hopped on the table until it broke, the legs rolling away. The other child, still unseen all that dirty hair, picked up a table leg and started beating the other over the head. Hit me! The recipient screamed, a voice quavering with delight. Hit me! The other child reared back, swung as hard as they could, the table leg arcing through the air. The image froze, just before wood connected with jaw, the color leaching out of the scene in an instant. Keeping your kitchen clean isn't easy. A voice that sounds suspiciously like Sabrina's intoned over the still image. Especially with a couple gremlins like these. The scene started again. Sabrina, hair beehive, blue cardigan over a flower print house dress, entered. Smiling like a Stephanopoulos. Good thing there's Clean from Sands, the bleach people. With just two little squirts, an orange bottle popped in the screen Sabrina's hand. She poured bleach into two wine glasses on the counter. The feral children picked them up. I can make this whole mess, screened Sabrina winked at the camera. Disappear, the children squealed, chugging their glasses like frat boys at Dollar Beer Night, hair flipping back to reveal Damien and Michaela's profiles. No! The real Sabrina screamed. She hit the remote. Nothing happened. She rushed the TV, searching for the plug. On screen, the kids flopped to the ground, spasming, their spines bending back into question marks, recalling questions that always went unspoken in the Haskins household. Why'd you have me, for starters? Sabrina froze, hands inches from the TV's power cord, an answer resounding in her mind, while the facsimiles of her children writhed and thrashed and puked up their guts on screen. Because I couldn't think of anything else to do. She sank to her knees in front of the television and stayed like that for a very long time. 916-633-1537, 916-633-1537, Wretched and ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify, it takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser, copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts, and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. $1 will get you a ton of content. Uh, You can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash SSCast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to hot you later. Peace.